2: Thank you so much for joining us for this very first episode of Why Tech Events Matter. Uh, We will do this every day until Friday next week with some of our mentors, friends at Startup Sesame. Uh, Basically, people who share something in common is that they go uh, to conferences and events because of their job and uh, they know a lot about them. So we wanted to get the opportunity to you know, share the knowledge with our uh, audience online at, on Facebook. Thank you very much, Bindi, for joining us today. So Bindi, Karya, tell us quickly uh, who you are and what you do.
4: So hi, everyone. I'm Bindi. Um, I'm calling you from, I'm speaking to you from London, United Kingdom. It's actually sunny here for once. It's been raining and cold the last uh, couple of weeks. And like most Brits, we talk about the weather. So it's sunny. Hurrah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, By way of background, I've been in the London and European tech scene for a long time. Uh, I'm probably going to age myself here a bit, but I've been around since 2000, the first time around in London. And through that period of time, I've worked in a high-growth fintech startup. I've worked in an incubator back in 2000. Um, I was at Microsoft for eight years, uh, part of where I launched... And built what then was known as BizSpark, but it's now falling under the Microsoft for Startups um, banner uh, that was announced yesterday. Yeah. So great to see so much of my old team uh, still around in that team. Um, and then I joined Silicon Valley Bank in London and was there close to three years where I was working on the early stage banking business unit and focusing on emerging and corporate VC. And then obviously, because I've worked with so many entrepreneurs, I left and I'm in the process of building an advisory business, and I'm really focusing on the intersection between corporates, uh, startups, investors, and government. And each of those pieces of work, I um, really focus on connecting and making sure they're successful. So startups, I'll be on advisory boards. With corporates, I'll sit and help innovation teams or chief innovation officers as they decide how to go to market Uh, vcs i work with them on either growing a part of their business or sending them deal flow and then government i do bits and bobs of advisory work including the european innovation council um which is really looking at the next level of spend on innovation across europe and there's 15 of us from across europe that are part of that council summary
2: (laughs) and you i wanted to ask you actually a little bit more about this uh, european innovation council and um also, one of the first conclusions. Recently, you released uh, one of your reports or conclusions. Can you tell us a bit more about this?
4: Yeah, I mean, the Innovation Council is really set up to help the um, European Innovation Commissioner as he focuses sort of on the next level of spend on innovation following the H2020 program. So yeah. we're really a pilot to, say, to help him figure out what to do next. And I think that the main message that came out from that, Ben, maybe you want to send a link to the white paper after because we released that in Davos a couple of weeks ago. Um, But really, the main focus on that is around the innovator and making the innovator, whether they're from university or a first-time founder or, you know, a second-time founder or from within corporates or et cetera, making them the center of it all and making it easy for the innovator to get access to financing and funding, um, to mentoring and support, and to, you know, having the government communicate with them more openly about how they can be helpful about removing regulatory and process-type barriers.
2: So, there are so that several, first
4: report was released, which was fantastic.
2: We'll share the link afterwards. And there are several objectives there, if I un- understand properly. One of them is to uh, have kind of an um, easier streamline. Um, communication uh, to innovators so that I, I can navigate better this uh, space in Europe, where, for especially for starters, we know that not really very simple to understand from outside. Like, they're like, okay, where am I supposed to go to? Who am I contacting? What is H2020? What is Startup Europe? What is EIT? What, what are all these things, right?
4: Yeah, and, and the, the whole message we gave was there's so much out there and don't create anything new actually bring it all together in one spot where the innovator can access that insight and information. And also like what are these various funding instruments that you know um, innovators can get access to, whether it's a loan or whether it's through the VC fund who's taking funding from the fund of funds, um, or you know, actual grants, because you know that's very important. Then if you look at areas such as deep tech, and this is really one part that the report focused on. Deep tech is a very, very long-term play, and it requires patient capital. Mm -hmm. And quite often, VCs, because of the way they work, it's hard for them to come in until that deep tech has a proven capability. So really, um, some of that funding from an earlier stage could come from a government level, because that's what they need. They need that patient capital to help them get that technology to a certain level, particularly in areas of biotech and the like. So it's really about that, and it's also saying let's make heroes um, and examples of some of our top minds in Europe.
1: And, mm-hmm.
4: uh, we we suggested something like a fellowship, and that might not be the right wording, but it's it's the concept of saying these people should become fellows, and as a community and ecosystem, we should be there to support them, whether it's through funding or mentoring or connecting or network, and also make it easy. So we know how hard the process is to apply for funding. So we've also very strongly said the UX and the UI and the access to a lot of this needs to be easier. Um, so you know those are some of the key messages, and it needs to be fast. It can't be slow, slow pace because innovation changes on a dime these days. Mm-hmm. So really, uh, it's about getting faster access to this as well.
2: Uh, coming back to the deep tech um, um, area of like in terms of how the European government can support these. A particular field of innovation um as you know we, are, we just launched our call for entries at startups i mean one of the new vertical that we included this year was uh, is deep tech um and we did that for a number of reasons the first one is because we have some exciting events that are covering this uh, particular field but also because we were meeting a lot of startups that were not fitting in the sort of traditional, not traditional, but like the the, the standard model, I would say. Uh, so we thought, let's try it, let's test. And I guess that it will be harder also for us to work with those companies. One reason being that maybe the founders or CEOs are not as experienced with pitching and this type of thing as uh, a usual entrepreneur will be because of the background of coming from research. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. I hope you know we're going to know about it very soon. So my question is, what other first? Do you have an opinion about it? Like, do you know uh, personally deep tech, you know, companies where the founders are as brilliant and as good storytellers as any other startup founder? And two, uh, what other what other trends are exciting you currently in Europe in terms of innovation and companies that you see popping up?
4: Yeah, I think um, I think that kind of perception of deep tech is slightly old, mm-hmm. and, and what I mean by that is. If you think about the the people that are coming through universities and, you know, producing this tech, I'll just use universities as one example. A lot of them go through, a lot of universities are offering entrepreneurship training and have in-house incubators and they're offering all of this. Mm -hmm. Um, So just talking from my own personal experience here in London, Imperial is a very technical university in London, but they also have an incubator. And I'm regularly there. I'm I'm occasionally doing uh, master classes to the entrepreneurship class. But the people that are in that are also scientists in deep tech. And Imperial Innovation is funding those, you know, those very, very interesting technologies. Cambridge is another great example. It's the original home of deep tech. Like, I don't know, I've lost count, like seven to eight one billion pound um, valued companies there, all in the deep tech and bioscience. And a lot of these folks are very, very, very slick. They know what they're doing. They know how to pitch. Um, and I see more like that than the, the type you're describing. To no. I also think there's a focus on a lot of VCs to, to invest in this space. And I know I won't steal the thunder from one of your guests next week, but you know, a lot of what he's talking about is deep tech. And I remember his CEO day last year, the title was deep tech gets delicious. Yeah. Look at the speakers at that event and all of them are very good commercially, all mm. of them really good investments on their part. and very good commercially. So I think that's a perception that kind of needs to be busted, quite frankly. Um, And I think the EU, it's about the grants to people at that level of their company, because the VCs um, in Europe tend to come on board when there is some form of traction or proof point that this is going to work. And it's the long-term patient capital that's the issue. So I think that the government and the EU can provide that more patient capital. To get the company up to a level where it is investable by traditional VC, and then in relation to your other question, like other trends I'm seeing, I'm just going to equip you with buzzwords. But this is certainly what I'm seeing all around the market. And, you know, a lot of conferences are um, <laughs> what sort of heard a giggle in the background. Yeah, uh, but a lot of conferences are talking about it. But um, obviously, artificial intelligence is a huge word, and you know. AI is not just a startup thing, it's the focus of so many corporates I'm talking to because they're sitting on so much data. And that's the other thing, data continues to be the oil upon which these corporations run. You know, I hear the buzzword, data is the new oil, but AI is about how to interpret that level of data on, you know, sitting on millions of customers' insights and therefore how do you produce goods and services that are better geared towards a very well-established customer base. So there's that, there's robotics. Um, no doubt all of you saw that uh, Boston Laboratory video. What, what's their name? They're based in Boston, of the dog opening the door, the robotic yeah. dog. I mean, that scared me to death, but that just goes to prove this is the direction in which robotics is happening. And um, I think voice is another one. Like uh, Everybody loves their you know, Google Home or Alexa or um, whatever the Apple one is. I've got an Alexa myself. But I think a lot of people are building um, applications and businesses based on voice. So I think voice is huge. And then finally, um, I mean, this is just the end-all, be-all that I'm seeing right now. Every other word is crypto and ICO, right? So cryptocurrency. And I'm still fairly new to the game, and I'm learning a lot, and I'm in quite a few chat groups. But crypto is where it's at, and I'm seeing it and seeing it and seeing it. And I saw an article yesterday where even J.P. Morgan JPMorgan Morgan Chase, who were very, uh, I guess, conservative on crypto, even the CEO is saying, "Yeah, we might actually have to start consider having crypto uh, currency in our portfolio." And I think, I think, was it the state of Arizona that said they'll start to take tax payments in Bitcoin? So I think we're at the beginning of that. I think we are in the 1999 of web uh, in this crypto space. Mm-hmm. And then everyone and their dog I know is ICOing. I, I did an event. Um, a couple of weeks ago in London where we just had 60 very keen people in space. And, you know, um, IPO is so 2015 as my friends at Thunderbeam say from Estonia. Um, and, and I, I think that's something to really think about. I think the interesting thing will be the regulation and how government can sit on top of that. So they've really got to start taking notice. And I know Gibraltar, um, yeah. issued a statement on regulating that. I know, um, other islands are certainly talking about it offshore. And I know regulators are also looking at it um, and, you know, regularly making statements. Statements. I think the UK is quite forward thinking. So I'm looking forward to what our regulator, the FCA, will think. Um, and also looking forward to what our governments will say. This is something we can't ignore. So I think we're in 1999 and I'm looking forward to seeing what will happen over the next three to five years. And then the final word I'll say, because it keeps popping up, and again, I know as a very little about this, so this might be something to ask Richard when he is with you next week. Um, but quantum computing and how yeah. that relates to the speeding up of crypto, uh, the crypto markets right now. So I think that's fairly new. And again, there's quite a big uh, faction or sort of community here that's growing in the UK. A few universities I know have quantum computing advisory boards and I you know people on that. So. Um, Again, I don't know enough about it to make more of a comment, uh, but more an observation that I'm seeing more of that. So I think we're early doors with that, and I'm very curious to see where we'll be in a couple of years' time with that space. So There's, that's why I ask all your other panelists as well.
2: Yeah, well, thank you very much for you know dropping a few questions that I can use for uh, recharge week And you were <laughs> mentioning the event that uh, Open Ocean is organizing on March the 15th in London. Um, if you want to get involved, you can drop us a line. We have, you know, some invitations uh, with us. Um, I wanted to ask you, again, two questions, but let's keep, I'm, I'm going to keep the first one for later on. The Immediately, I wanted to uh, follow up on this question about how a government will regulate. And I wanted to know, what is you, do you think uh, events like, you know, conferences and other type of events like technology events, but also, uh, you know, official government reunions, like meetings, that you are involved in some of them. Recently, I think you were in Bulgaria. Um,
4: I was, yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. What is, what are they, do they have a role to play in getting, you know, the government aligned and, and how, how can pure startup events can also play a role in this field? Do you, what do you think?
4: So I think it's happening. So the European Innovation Council team, they have been at most of the big tech events. So they were at Slash. Um, I know they were at Davos. And I know Davos wasn't just a tech event, because, uh, but, you know, they were there. Blockchain, obviously, I forgot to mention blockchain in my buzzword bingo. But, um, you know, blockchain, there are a lot of blockchainers at Davos. Um, they were at DLD. They're going to all the big events. So look up for the EIC team. They're everywhere. And they always ping the 15 of us. Are you at this conference or you're at that one? I know they're at Web Summit last November, or is it December now? They were at Disrupt in December in Berlin. So they're actually doing the road trip, and they're trying to get the word out there. So I'm seeing more of these EU bodies going around to the conferences to spread the word, but more importantly, to get the feedback from the community and the ecosystem. Uh-huh. They're being very open to getting the feedback. So they appointed people like me, the 15 of us that are there, all of us, you know, we're from quite a few, we represent, We were a very good representative of the pan-European ecosystem. All of us have some form of connection to the various ecosystem and are able to talk about it. So I always ask my friends on the ground here in the UK and whenever I'm running into you at conferences, Ben, yeah. uh, what your point of view is. And I share that point of view. And I share it not just from the founders, but I'll share it from the VCs as well because I spend a lot of my time Uh, with VCs because some of them are my clients. That one right now is a a client of mine. So I see what's happening on the ground and I, I try to communicate that back, um, to the people at government. So I think they are doing a listening exercise and I think more of them are going to conferences. They just look for them. They, they, they'll have a banner or a stand and they'll always have some kind of, um, you know, uh, off piece chat so they're not might not be on the main stage mm-hmm. but they will be having um a chat you know and the unconferency bits or the conference like the, the smaller panel bits and the, the side conference bits um i don't know if they're going to mwc i should find out so that uh, if they're there then i can be there to help them but do you know what i mean so i i'm seeing more and more of it
2: and is it uh, you were saying it's very easy to find them like uh, if i just basically ping them online i'm going to be able to meet with them
4: uh, I don't like, I usually just ping them. Um, but I think they're, they've, they've got a website up and running. I uh-huh. think it's better if you find them at the conferences and okay. usually they'll have something in the conference program that they're there. Cause for example, at Slush, um, they were in the program. They weren't on any of the main stages, but they're in a lot of those side rooms mm-hmm. that were those side conferencing was going on.
1: So uh-huh. they were there.
4: In fact, the same room, Ben, that you and you did your Sesame side of yeah. that. They were in that exact same room. So um, they are there. You just have to go find them and go talk to them. And they'll give you the brochures. You know, they want to get feedback from you. So I think it's better face-to-face, actually.
3: How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment.
0: and Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: Oh, that's a very good transition to this question of what's the value of tech events. So uh, the face-to-face connection that you're mentioning right now, you're saying that it's better. It is better. better. in person. So why? Yeah. Why is that?
4: I think, come on, like, let's face it. Like, this kind of thing we could have just done over voice, but we're looking at each other's faces and uh, whoever's looking at us at Facebook and, and laughing at our, our mugs mm-hmm. online. Um, but I do feel, you know, despite all of these words of deep tech and AI and robotics and voice, I do feel there's nothing better than a human to human connection. Mm-hmm. Um, because of what I do, you know, I like to say super connector, but for me, that's based on lots of very long term relationships I've built with business contacts. I think to me, that's the most important way of conducting business. You can look at them in the eye. You can look at the business and what they're about. You can, you, it's just you're there physically. And I think that makes such a difference. You can do lots of stuff virtually, but I think nothing beats, you know, human contact. And um, yeah, from there, like what else do you want to hear about conferences? There's so much to talk about.
2: Yeah, I know, well, for, well, we have like 10 more minutes. Um, uh, one key question was, how do you, uh, did you find startups yourself to work with at conferences? And if so, how and how did they approach you? And what did you look into them um, to decide to advise them and work with them?
4: Yeah, I think um, I'm very much a believer of warm introductions. So at conferences, um, they're, they're sort of twofold, because I've gone on behalf of corporates in the past. It's about the return on investment. So I think doing a lot of the upfront research in advance, like going into the conference um, application and knowing who's attending and then therefore deciding who you want to meet in advance, I think that's key and doing all your coffees and, you know, the, the side events and stuff like that. I think that's really key. Doing your research upfront is very important. In terms of meeting startups, I, I've tended to meet them but purely through introductions like people such as yourself, Ben. You know, you're always... I'm putting interesting companies my way. Uh, I'm a firm believer in warm intros. I think that makes a big difference. So find someone that knows that person. And then if you both happen to be at the same conference, you know, make the intro there. Um, the pitch contests are always a good place because you're going to see the conference organizers have done all the hard work of done, doing the curation of who's going to be on stage. So you're going to see a lot of the good companies at the pitch contests. Um, all the VCs always attend and, and, you know, there's always someone on the ground. And for them, it's about company meetings. Uh-huh. It's really, the, it's the advanced upfront planning that they're doing the company meetings. I think Slush does it well. So they have the investor lounge, you know, upstairs in, in one of the areas. All the big VCs and Slush um, that were attending had their own sofa areas and were having, you know, meeting after meeting, after meeting, after meeting. So it's the return to me is, you know, are you meeting valuable companies? Um, and, you know, are you coming back with leads that you can then follow up and it results in business? For me, I'll go knowing there's a probability of commercial success. That's kind of how I've always gone to the conferences at Well Equipped. So Mobile World Congress, I have an idea of who I want to meet. And this time around, I want to meet corporates. So, um, you know, Ben, I'll probably be reaching out to you saying, <laughs> help me find some good ones out there. Um, and so, in this case, I'll go equipped with my hit list and who to talk to and you know try to get side meetings with them wherever I am. So
2: if it's you about were,
4: research up front to me
2: we the, the one one of the challenges of having uh, this conversation with you is that um, we both kind of know uh, what we're talking about, so um, if we were if among you know the people who will be watching this. If I'm a startup founder, an entrepreneur, and I'm going to be, for example, at Mobile World Congress, I think we're going to talk about for from Mobile World Congress during the entire week because this is kind of the next big event that we have. Coming it is. Next. And yeah. People that we I'll are see
1: Yeah.
2: So a lot of people that we are interviewing are going there as well. Um, but if you were to give uh, like your top advice or, you know, three tips or this type of thing to um, a young, you know, first-time entrepreneur going to an event like this one, what would it be? Like, apart from, okay, prepare yourself, uh, have your hit list. Do you have something to share with this profile of first time founders and entrepreneurs?
4: I, I think, like, just being in the conference area, going to the right pitch events, because you know people will be there. Um, uh, what else can I say? I think that's a hard one because I've been going for so long to these conferences. I, I must admit, I forget what it's like to be a first timer. I think the upfront research is key and using the conference app is key. I think Uh if you're completely going in cold, that's a good way to start, right? Um, The uh, sort of the, um, gosh, the pitch events will be a good one because you know the investors will be at the pitch
1: events. Mm -hmm. For
4: a fact. And then I always make a point of going to the right talks that are relevant to my business or what I'm doing or the right areas. There's always an investor lounge. So try, you know, try to see if you can, get an appointment through the investor lounge. Um, There's always networking events and meetups at the conferences. And obviously the after parties, they're good fun, but you should also go knowing that you have to be um, equipped knowing people as well.
1: Uh I
4: think the other thing is don't be scared. I do a class at a couple of the universities around sort of networking 101 and what you do and what you take what it takes to do. And I think it does take a bit of confidence as well. Mm -hmm. You know, you've you've just got to go there and don't be scared of rejection. You just got to get out there and do it.
3: (laughs) Um,
2: One more question. The, you're also involved personally in, um, in uh, other um, activities, like, um, for example, your involvement in supporting women in technology. And I, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but among your advisory role, uh, board roles, you are uh, working with six uh, f- uh, female-founded startups. Um, is that the case, right?
4: Yes, absolutely.
2: Uh, um, so, my question, maybe you can tell us a bit more about, you know, what what's your take on it, and um, how you see the industry uh, evolving um, concerning the role of women and their their um, their leadership within the tech industry, and also what's happening during events, uh, if you. Like for example, I know that for Slush that we were discussing uh, earlier today, um, they implemented a lot uh, for the last edition to um, have an anti harassment policy in place to have uh, to create an environment that feels safe uh, to do business, have fun, and create you know uh, valuable connections. Tell us.
4: Wow, where to begin with that? <laughs> <What's>
2: the last <laughs> question that I have for today.
4: Yeah, I think. Um... I think for me, like the, actually seven women founded companies, I'm on their advisory board. Uh, The interesting thing is they found me, which is fantastic, right? So how I ended up working with a lot of them is I just got along with them. I believed in their mission. I also thought what I know and who I know could be helpful to them. Because there's a a lot I have to say no to because I just don't know everyone and I don't know the certain industries. So I really stepped in where I feel I can be helpful. And I have a really good working chemistry with the founder. And one of my favorite recent stories is Alice from The Work Crowd. Hey, Alice, if you're there. Um, Noah London reached out saying, we don't have enough female founders on stage uh, at the pitch day. So I reached out to all the women founders in my portfolio. And I was like, ladies, come on, enter. What are you doing? Alice entered and she actually won the whole competition, which I was so proud of her. Um, But actually, she was doing an HR technology. It was really focused on the freelance market, which is so huge right now. And it's the future of work. Um, And she's just killing it in terms of the business and the scalability and the clients she signed up. Um, And she continues to grow on scale. So she's at a point where she's ready for funding. So by winning NOAA, now she's obviously going to be pitching on the stage in Berlin in June. Um, It was great to see. But it's really about helping them on that road to Series A. Um, secondly, I think it's great that a lot of the conferences are putting this as part of the policy, saying more women on stage, um, you know, making sure that every panel has a good, not just male, female, but just a diversity in general. I Mm -hmm. think that's super, super key. Um, and you've got to bring that into the DNA. Loads of the VC funds in London are really focused on that right now. Um, You know, there's a I I don't know if the word is a manifesto, but there is a young group of VCs that have put out a women in VC um, kind of uh, manifesto saying this is what the state of the play is and this is what we think it needs to be and how you can do it. Um, There's a great initiative of female VCs in London who are doing mentoring stuff at Google Campus and they're doing office hours as a group of 10 amazing ladies doing that. So it's about, and then a lot of portfolios. So I can talk about Waira, for example. Um, I think their class last year was almost 50% female founded. So they're really being proactive about who they recruit. So I think it's, it's happening. Um, we're still not there yet, but I think it's happening. And I think it's up to all of us to be part of that and pay it forward as well. So I'm very much about paying it forward. Um, I love that Madeline Albright quote. Um, so sorry for a tiny bit of a swear, but there's a special place in hell for women who don't help other women. And I take that seriously. I think we've got to help each other out just as much as the, the men are helping the women out as well. So I think it's, it's a system that's got to help each other too. And I see, I'm seeing so much of that now. So yeah, I'm very passionate about it and equality and diversity, just kind of my DNA personally.
2: Uh, I think it's a great way to um, conclude our uh, interview today. Um, I'd like to thank you again very much for taking the time uh, to chat with us. Uh, we were live on Facebook. We're going to be every day around three pm uh, CET, Paris time, two pm in uh, London. And I look forward to seeing you very soon in Barcelona.
4: Au revoir Ben. Love to see you.